Hello, everybody, and welcome to Humanity First. Um, we have, I think for the second time, uh, or even maybe the third time, Jesse Pack, who is our Director of HIV Services. Is that right, Jesse? I think it's the third time. I think it's the third time, yeah. Yeah, you must be doing okay. You keep getting asked back. <laughs> well, it's, it's great to have you here. Um, and um, last week was uh, an important week. Uh, it was the Transgender Day of uh, Visibility, and which I think was last Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I hope people were looking on social media because we at BAMSI recognized that day. Um, and I'd, I'd just like to sort of have a little bit of a conversation about the uh, about where the origins of that day are uh, and maybe talk a little bit um, in terms of what's going on in the mo- at the moment in this country because oftentimes, Jesse, I think um, I'm optimistic about um, the progress that we've made and I think we have made significant progress in the LGBTQ uh, world, uh, in the transgender world. I think there's much more visibility um, you know, in, uh, in the media, in entertainment. Um, and then I'm... And then I think that optimism is tempered when I hear about what's going on in different parts of the country mm-hmm. um, in terms of institutionalized uh, eradication in, in a way, I mm-hmm. think I'd say, mm-hmm. in terms of what's going on with legislation in Florida and um, and in Texas. And, and I, was, I was waiting for you to come in and I thought, well, if I feel like that, you know, how is the mm-hmm. transgender population feeling about that? So maybe we can start and talk a little about, a bit about the history of the day um, and and why it's necessary and, and how we got here. So the day of transgender, the Transgender Day of Visibility began in 2009, and it was in direct response to the Transgender Day of Remembrance, which, has, which is an international day of mourning that has been preserved and done every year since 1998. And what's interesting about the Transgender Day of Remembrance is that it began in the Boston area Mm -hmm. where Rita, Rita Hester was murdered. Her perpetrator was never caught. Um, but that, And and before that happened, there were many other incidences of violence in the Boston area against transgender people. So when what happened to Rita happened, it really set off a bomb. Mm -hmm. And the community really galvanized around this. uh, Because the other thing to understand is that at that time local media or media outlets were not properly recognizing transgender victims. They were sharing their old names or their birth names or dead names. Mm -hmm. And in some extreme cases, they were even in their, in my opinion, in their reporting, they were implying that the victims deserved it. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was the context that the Day of Remembrance came about, which is still memorialized to this day and probably will be for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But for transgender people, 
you know, that's really depressing that, like, the only day to recognize you is related to this day of mourning mm-hmm. and of violence. So in 2009, a number of activists were like, let's do something in the spring that is about visibility. And I'm not friends with anyone who came up with this day, but I personally feel that the Transgender Day of Visibility has its roots in in the 1990s when the gay, lesbian, and bisexual movement in the early in early October they created this day that was like National Coming Out Day. Mm-hmm. Where you're out there about your identity and your experience and all that. And that's kind of what the Transgender Day of Visibility is about. It's about coming out, celebrating, and talking about what it's like to be a transgender person. Yeah. You know, it's it's fascinating you say that because it it is – it does – it does – it it turns away from the victim sort of Mm -hmm. issue – and looks toward the, um, the, the having a conversation about mm-hmm. uh, as anybody would about what it's like to live your life and the way that you choose mm-hmm. to do, which I think is important. Um, I was reading an article, um, actually, this completely unrelated to this conversation, but I was reading an article uh, about um, a festival, a women's festival that used to take place in Michigan, um, yes. Mitch. Mitchfest, I think, it, um, Michigan Women's Musical Festival, right? And yeah. and it was such an important. Um, I mean, the background is important, but what happened to those uh, transgendered people who were turning up there? I think was mm-hmm. the really was one of those pivotal moments in intersectionality, mm-hmm. right? This mm-hmm. this notion of how. Um, how the LGBTQ uh, population, plus population, was 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 managing the transgender issue, mm-hmm. um, and it seemed to me that um, all movements ha- need a moment where where it becomes in the zeitgeist, in the in the mm-hmm. conversation of the nation. Um, talk a little bit about that that sort of the the intersectionality issue of, uh, of transgender. The politics and everything, I guess. <laughs> I know that's so, a big, a big, a big topic. <laughs> you know, it's been fraught for a very long time. I actually think that today in 2022, the GLBTQAIS plus, we're all pretty uh, committed to one another. That did not used to be the case. I remember specifically in the late 1990s, the executive, the CEO of the Human Rights Campaign at that time, Elizabeth Elizabeth Birch, went on record saying uh, she was asked a question like, "Will HRC her organization back?" trans rights and she literally said over my dead body oh wow so that was kind of the that's your baseline (laughs) exactly (laughs) and then you know we wandered and muddled 
until 2007 under the Bush administration. And there was, I don't believe it was an actual opportunity, but certain people believed there was an opportunity to get federal non-discrimination protections for gay, lesbian, and bisexual Mm -hmm. people. And transgender people were already on that bus by the by 2007. And the major um, lobbying or GLBT lobbying organizations at the time had a whole war. And um, certain politicians put forth a law that didn't uh, or legislation that did not specifically did not include transgender people because they didn't want to deal with the fallout. And that caused an entire war in the GLBT population. Again, this is the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are much more unified now because the reality is that, and this is my opinion, gay, lesbian, and bisexual people have realized that a lot of the sources of their discrimination is uh, around issues related to gender expression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily who you're attracted to, but because you look gay, they're going to discriminate against mm-hmm. you. Well, if you have additional protections, not just sexual orientation, but gender identity and gender expression... That protects people who are not necessarily transgender. Right, right. It's complicated. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't think it's that different from any other group who is fighting for rights, right? There are steps along the way, if you mm-hmm. like, and mm-hmm. and uh, and groups that you have to sort of gather up and bring with you. I mean, you know, and, and, and you know, of course, I think about same-sex marriage as one of these pivotal mm-hmm. moments that I remember shaking my head about and saying, wow, now this we're having these conversations in a totally different way than we were even a year ago. You think, mm-hmm. you think about Barack Obama who came out against uh, same-sex marriage and yet this generation has come along and uh, you know, my kids are of uh, the, the younger the, um, uh, millennials and they just shake their head and say, why was this an issue? Why was this an issue? And so that struggle ends up um, eventually with, with that acceptance. But here's the caveat. In this country at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, I, saw, I saw a cartoon yesterday and it was a big trumpet hiding somebody's head with, um, with a, uh, and it said LGBTQ plus rights. Mm-hmm. And the trumpet was covering this person's head mm-hmm. and, and blowing. And the person was saying, all I want to do is live my life. So this was the straight person that was mm-hmm. saying, I can't stop. And I was thinking, wow, does that ever miss the point? But that is a that's an opinion that is held in many in all states, obviously. But in Florida and Texas, um, these you think that we're making this progress, but then you say, well, are we? If Ron DeSantos and um, and Greg Abbott in in those two states are mm-hmm. able to pass legislation that is actually legislation to cancel, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, to put it bluntly, it's the 
struggle for personal expressive rights throughout the country. So, and and that includes freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. So, what shocked me about Florida is Florida is event- is essentially muzzling public school teachers. Mm-hmm. How is that not f- attacking your freedom of expression? I don't know. Um. In Texas in particular, what is particularly disturbing to me is that the governor and the attorney general went on record saying any sort of medical intervention into transgender children's lives we are classifying as child Child abuse. And what I can tell you is all what has already happened is there are several families, less than 12, but that's too many, um, who are being uh, interviewed and looked into by Child Protective Services because of this call by both the governor and the attorney general. Now, there's been many district attorneys in Texas who are saying, that's ridiculous. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not going to proceed with right. that. But that doesn't protect everybody. Um, and that is what terrifies me. And I think what a lot of this, number one, certain political organizations are doing this to whip up some sort of moral hysteria Mm -hmm. to get votes. Mm -hmm. I'm cynical in that way. But more important than that, the average person simply does not understand um, gender-affirming health care. So then when you come at them with false information they don't know what the true information is so they get freaked out and the reality is that a lot of these people are saying oh these abusive parents are doing surgeries on young children and that is simply not happening uh basically the form of care for transgender or gender non uh, gender different or gender ver- diverse children is you go by what the child is telling you mm-hmm. and as they move into areas of uh, puberty or adolescence or they reach adult age at 22 at 18 I don't know why I said 22 <laughs> but at 18 um the family is supporting them so that they can, if any point along that way, they want to access gender-affirming care, they can. But certain states want to just simply outlaw gender-affirming care, which to me is very similar to these, and it tends to be the same states that want to outlaw reproductive Mm -hmm. 
Right. Care. Absolutely. Yeah, it's scary stuff. And I, th- I think it's a, a reminder um, as we wrap up here. It's a, a reminder that um, although we cherish the the gains, uh, mm-hmm. I think, uh, in in a society, those gains aren't, are always fragile or can be fragile. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned Roe versus Wade and, you know, mm-hmm. that was uh, – who whoever thought that that was, was going to be re-legislated and, you know, it looks like it is. Uh, these are changing times in this country and to have a voice – uh, to make sure that we are inclusive, to make sure that our diverse society is recognized in our legal system, in the conversations that happen on the on the television, in media, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is affirming is so important, especially when um, we live in an in era. I, I will say of an, an era of intolerance, and this mm-hmm. isn't just uh, about transgender folks it's about anything that seems to stray uh from the norm um and i think it is incredibly important that we uh that we cherish those those gains but sort of make sure that we hold on to them i want to mention one thing in particular those of us who are in minority communities will do best to reach out to other minority communities i will use an example as an experience as an American who lived under the Trump, (laughs) the Bush administration, because of the freedom, um, not Freedom of Information Act, that's not what I'm going after. Um, There was legislation passed to tighten up on federally implemented IDs and state IDs. Mm-hmm. And if you got a mismatch anywhere along the line, your employer would get a letter saying there was a mismatch. Mm-hmm. And the entire point of this program was to route out Muslim terrorists. That was what people had in mind when they did this. Mm-hmm. What they actually did is they unintentionally outed thousands if not tens of thousands of transgender americans Mm -hmm. i was included because my federal identification did not match Mm -hmm. my state Mm -hmm. identification and then i got a and at the call i was not working at bamsey and i got a call from the human resources department of the company i was working at and they're like can you explain this? And I kind of did, mm-hmm. and they were cool with it, but I know people who lost their jobs mm-hmm. because this was in the early 2000s before there were most legal protections. So I say that entire thing to say my freedom in liberation was wrapped up with Muslim Americans yeah, yeah. at that time. Yeah, it's such a good point that, that, that we, we need to band together across mm-hmm. those, uh, those inequities that exist. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for coming in and talking. It's been lovely to chat, and uh, I'm sure you'll be back in soon. Absolutely, whenever you want. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>